We are continuing our series, The Unstoppable Church. And last couple of weeks, we have looked at some really neat topics here in the book of Acts as we studied Acts chapter 1, and then we looked in Acts chapter 2 yes, uh, last week. We saw this unstoppable church. We started with looking at the unstoppable mission. The unstoppable mission given to the church was to go was not to hoard the gospel, was not to, to just take it for your own, but to go and to tell others, the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1. And then last week we came to Acts chapter number 2 and we saw the unstoppable message that Peter delivered. There was nothing really important or special about Peter except for that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the mission that God had called him to do. And the unstoppable message was the gospel that he presented that day, was that Jesus Christ died that he was buried and he came back to life, victorious over death, the grave, and the enemy, the devil. So I'm thankful for what Jesus accomplished. And with that gospel message, that helps us to see that everything in God's word is directing toward what Jesus finished on the cross for our behalf. Well, today we come to Acts chapter number two. And we're going to look at the last part of this chapter. And we're going to see in verses 41 through 47, this unstoppable love, the unstoppable love. Would you join me in Acts chapter number 2? We're going to look in verse number 41, and we'll read throughout the rest of this chapter. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed, they were together, they had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So this morning we look at this text of scripture, we look about this unstoppable Love. What an incredible account of the early church. Let's pray. Father, we need your wisdom today. We certainly do not want to jump into your word and, and go at it without first calling our, our need before you. So we humble ourselves before you and we ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit to prompt us, to teach us, to convict us. I pray that together today that we would learn, we would be reminded of truths that maybe we've heard before, but something that would be of, of application to the journey that we're in right now. And so I would ask that you would use this text to shape our hearts and to change us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray, amen. This loving people is a very powerful expression of loving God. Let me say it again, loving people is a very powerful expression of loving God. Some people will try to say that they, they love God, yet they have a very difficult time loving people. Or some people will even say that they love people, but they have no true love for God in them. So loving people is a powerful expression of loving God. And this passage of Scripture shares with us the story of the early church experiencing this growth because of an unstoppable love. Now, what I love about this passage of Scripture is that the growth is not just numerical. There's a lot of spiritual growth that is taking place. And I believe that that's a key foundation to, to why this is such a positive example by the early church living it out. 
Now, we've spent two weeks speaking specifically on the core values of our church, and we've talked about how these shape the culture of who we are at Parkway, what defines people's experience at Parkway. What do you want Parkway to be known for? What do you want the experience at Parkway to be like? You see, companies will spend millions of dollars every year to cause their product or their environment to be one that is exciting and drawing people to come back to experience it. For example, yesterday morning I was watching college game day. And so I was sitting there on the couch watching the preview of the Florida Gator uh, Miami Hurricane football game. I guess I guess that's a football game. I don't know. Those two teams go at it. I guess Florida won last night. Anybody excited that Florida won a game? Okay. They're overranked. They're number eight, so it'll be a really weird season for them. But I was watching the college game day preview. These guys travel from place to place. Every Saturday, they set up, and they do their preview of the big games that day. So yesterday, they were in Orlando, and they were at Disney World. So they were set up there. As I'm watching in, I'm kind of getting into it a little bit and trying to just get a little bit of college football in my blood again. Brooklyn looks up from whatever she was doing, and she says, oh, they're at Disney World, Magic Kingdom. I said, well, how do you know that? She says, well, look, it's Cinderella's Castle. It was right in the middle of the screen. It was way in the back. You know, I'm focused on the guys, you know, listening to the previews. And she's all she could see was Cinderella's Castle. I said, oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty neat. I bet it's fun to be there today. She said, oh, yeah, I bet it is. She looks down and continues what she's doing. Three minutes go by, and you know what she says? Daddy. I want to go back to Disney World so bad. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Now, here's why. She has had an incredible experience there before, and she wants to go back. She didn't think about the 94-degree weather yesterday afternoon. She didn't think about the money it would take to go. She didn't care about long lines just to get on one simple three-minute ride. She didn't think about all the energy she would have to spend just to have some fun experience at the Magic Kingdom. All she could think about was the experience that she has had in the past and how they have made her want to come back for more. Hmm. When you look at the early church and the culture that they had, it was not something that they had to create. It was something that came very naturally. And it was something that when people experienced it, they wanted to come back for more. So when we look at this unstoppable love, it needs to be a part of any local church. It needs to be a part of the very drive that helps that church to move forward. This church in Acts 2 was known for their love, a love that reflected Jesus Christ and, and drew people to him. And so here at Parkway, our question we must ask ourselves is, do we exhibit this same unstoppable love so that when people come into our doors, they experience something that they want to be a part of? Now, we understand with any church, it's going to be a place for some people, and it's going to be a church that's not for everyone. We get that. But the people that come in who never return should never have the excuse that that was an unloving unfriendly church. They should always experience the love of Jesus Christ that draws them to come back and want to know more. So when we look at this unstoppable love, we'll see several thoughts throughout this text. But first of all, the unstoppable love leads us as God 
followers to participate in meaningful aspects of the church life. When you see verse 41 and 42, Peter has just finished with his very powerful gospel message. The men have said, what must we do? What do we do with this content? What do we do with this conviction? I don't know what to do. And he says, repent. He says, repent, then be baptized because of this forgiveness of sins that can happen in your life. And so they repent of their sin. They trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then they were baptized that day. 3,000 people were saved that day at that incredible early gathering of the church. Now, this section of Acts 2 emphasizes a very key theme that you're going to see all throughout the book of Acts, and that's intentionally living out the gospel. Do you see that? Intentionally living out the gospel. If there's one thing that we grab a hold of today and take it home with us, it is intentionally living out the gospel. Because the unstoppable love comes when we intentionally live out the gospel. The early church is seeing this participation in the variety of, of things that are happening in this early church. Look in here in the text in verse 42. They continued steadfastly and so they were not waffling or wavering. They were, they were consistent. They were sticking at it and they were uh, very much solid in what they were going to do. And they, they continued consistently in this apostle's doctrine, in this teaching. Now, remember that a disciple is first a learner. So when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're now a learner, we're a sponge, we're soaking it in. And, and they probably would have been studying the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine at this moment being one of the apostles, being able to, to reference back to the Old Testament prophecies and be like, oh, wow, oh, whoa, whoa, guys, look, yeah, this, this was just fulfilled. Like, Jesus did this. And so now they're teaching this to the new believers, the new converts, the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They were probably teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No doubt they were sharing personal experiences of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Peter was gathering people saying, hey, let me tell you about that one day. We were out in the Sea of Galilee, and it was incredible. There was, a, there was a storm, and he goes on to tell about what Jesus did in calming the waters. They were telling of personal experiences of the work of Jesus Christ. These are some of the important aspects that they would have been pouring now into other people. As a church, we know that it's important to have correct teaching, proper preaching, that is done to edify, to instruct, and allowing the Holy Spirit to do that conviction and that work within us. We know that there's a lot of varieties and tastes of preaching across the board, and we know some people like uh, other different angles of preaching or, or ways that it can be done. But what is important here at Parkway is that we know whether it's in a connection class or another small group or in the pulpit or in a teaching environment that we're going to stick to the truths of the text staying within the context of the passage and not go away from that, properly dis dissecting or taking uh, God's word and teaching it. So let me ask you this. Are you engaged in practical learning and taking the necessary steps for application? You realize your steps of learning can happen in your own personal life as well? Maybe a study guide, a study Bible, a study book, it's taking God's word, reading it, applying it to your own life. Secondly, we see another aspect of the church that they were involved in was, was fellowship. And this is, we know this word to mean unity, this partnership, this connection. 
and, um, and they, were, they were unified together. Now, we, we spoke a little bit about this last Sunday night in our, our Sunday night service, talking about this small group aspect. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but what I do want to reference is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, which says this. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. This would have been years later after this would have been taking place. And he says, with all lowliness and meekness, two words that help us to understand humility, removal of pride. So he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and we partner along with reading this letter now, and we know that the scriptures are applicable to, to us. And so we say, now with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, with patience, forbearing one another in love. Then he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You realize we have a lot in common today. Not that we're just here for a 1030 worship service together at Parkway Baptist Church, or maybe we sat in a connection class together. No, we have so much more in common when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we're reminded about all of this that we have the privilege of being unified together in. Now we know that churches vary from, from church to church. They look different. They act different. They usually take on an aspect of the pastor's personality. So this is a big goober church, I guess. I don't know. But there's a lot of things that kind of help identify a church. But we're a church that wants to stay on target. We're a church that wants to have vision. We want to stay on mission. We want to stay on point. We want to be gospel-centered. We want to be intentionally living out the gospel. So when we think about this whole fellowship aspect, then we have a lot of things that are in common with one another. So let me ask you this. Are you trying to live in isolation? If you're content with living in isolation in your Christian life, you're going against one of the very key core values of who we are as a church. So you're going against what is very important to the ministry, as well as Ephesians chapter 4, something that is important to the church body. So if you're trying to live in isolation, you're missing out on this partnership. Are you a seed of disunity among God's church? Then look, it says, not only in the doctrine that they taught and in the fellowship, but in the breaking of bread. I believe this goes much further beyond just a, a regular meal that they, they had together. This would have been in reference of the remembrance of the Lord's Supper or communion. It represented God's new covenant that was initiated by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter number 22. And so here, as, um, as this is an important part of the church body for us to participate in, tonight at 6 o'clock we'll do a, a communion service, a time of, where we take the whole service and it is all directed toward this remembrance of what Jesus Christ did. And so we'll sing songs of remembrance, songs of celebration, songs of praise. But then we'll also take a time of reflection on our own heart, a time of remembrance of what Jesus Christ did in his accomplishing work on the cross. And this will be the time together of the breaking of bread. And then it finishes off this verse by saying that they, they participated, they continued steadfastly in prayers. Now remember when the disciples would have been gathering these new believers, they would have been teaching them many things. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? And now the opportunity is coming for, has come for these men to pour that truth into other people. 
And so now they're teaching others to pray the importance of prayer. Why do we pray? How do we pray? Now, the apostles are teaching these new believers, and I believe it goes much further than just some memorized prayers of the temple service. This would have been directed in a very personal way, uh, prayers that would have been praying for unity, for boldness, for wisdom, for provisions, for guidance, and for strength. And so we remember what James said, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The question we ask ourselves then is, my prayer, are my prayers powerful in its full effect? Can you be labeled as that guy? Secondly, this unstoppable love leads us to participate in generous giving of our lives. You see, there was a, a close fellowship within this inexperienced community of, of believers. You remember what just took place in Acts chapter number 2. These 3,000 plus were added to the church. There are so many new believers, new converts. They are inexperienced. They're learning as they go. But one thing that they were doing well was that they were very generous in their giving of their lives. It's important for us to see here that these verses in Acts is not a mandate from Luke to do exactly what they did. Go sell everything you have and, and give it to others. That's, that's not the mandate here. What, what Luke is doing is he's basically recording the history and the events that took place in the early church. And this is what they were led to do. They were not mandated by God to sell everything they had. By the way, that's not in the text. The first step of being Christian is not just sell it all so that I can give it all. But there is this aspect of generous living. There is this investment in God and in his work. And so that comes with the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading in our life. There's an investment to be made in God's work as a local church. There's an investment to be made not only financially, but also with just my life. I give of my time. I give of my energy. I give of my resources. I give whatever I can to the investment of God's work. Do you realize that... Some of the people who complain the loudest give the least. And it's usually because their mind is focused on themselves instead of giving of themselves. Like if I'm only consumed with the betterment of me, then I really have a lot to complain about. I really have a lot that I'm disgruntled by. But when I see that this thing called God's church is about me giving to him through the church so that God can do something for eternal rewards, well, then I find my perspective to be a whole lot different than internally focused. Now, at Parkway, we understand that a part of this journey today is, is that there's a lot of pressures that take our financial resources, our time resources, our energy, even our mental capacity. Sometimes for people to say, well, I could really... Um, I really could just use a conversation with a brother and sister in Christ and just pour my heart out to them. And we begin to find maybe somebody that would be very good at that, but they would say, I'm just mentally spent. I'm burnt. I cannot hear another person's problems. I have enough of my own. They're going to have to find somewhere else to go. And what takes place in those circumstances is that we've been pushed and pulled in so many other directions that we have nothing to give to God's church. Trying to get volunteers sometimes can be a very difficult task. 
Because somebody says, the last thing I want to do when I come to church on Sunday is have to use my energy to serve or my mentality to engage or um, any other resources that I might be able to give. I really have to store those up for this big, busy week ahead of me. We don't want church to become this overly burdensome place that you come every weekend. That's why we're very purposeful in engaging you with a ministry that you love and are passionate about. Because the last thing we want is anybody to dread Saturdays and Saturday nights and thinking, oh, tomorrow I've got to do this at the church. And they dread it. And and we pretend like, well, we'll just preach them out of that mode. No, we don't. That's not our job. We allow God to do his work, and we put people in the places they're most passionate about so that they can serve. And that's why the people that come to me with the big open book that says, hey, just use me and put me wherever you want, I always have to come back at them and say, no, I'm not going to put you where I want. I want you to be where God wants you, where your passions are, so that you love serving God and his church. And so... Quit turning in those cards like that, all right? I'm looking at a few of you over in this section right here, all right? I'm coming after you, all right? You find out what it is you're good at and what you love and do that. That's generous living. That's generous giving. That is using the resources that God has blessed us with in order to glorify God and to serve and be a blessing to the church body. There's a big difference when somebody says, how can I help you? And then on the other hand, somebody says, all right, I'm here. How can I help you? That's a big difference. Like we say to our kids, all right, we're going to help uh, mom do the laundry or we're going to do, um, do some chores today. And they come in, yeah, right, what can I do to help, right? And then, uh, then there's the kid that comes in and is like, oh, what can I do? And maybe it's usually the husband <laughs> that does that. I don't know. Um, there's a pretty big difference. And I think too many times we really approach God's work that way. Like, well, I've been a member for 35 years. I guess I should be doing something. You need me to teach a class? All right, give me the curriculum. You need me to work in the nursery? All right, I'll hold a baby. You need me to do this? All right, fine, I'll do it. Instead of coming in being like, God, where do I plug in? Where do I serve? The early church didn't have that problem because they were engaged in the mission. They were intentionally living out the gospel. They realized in the early church what Jesus Christ had just done 50 days before this. Like Jesus died for my sins. Like Jesus was buried in a tomb and all hope was gone. But then three days later, he he came back to life and he loves me. So you've got 3,000 plus people who are personalizing this. Whereas this was just something so real to them. So how could they do anything less than give of themselves? Look at at how the verse says it. Look at the unity. They were together. They had all things in common. There was this selflessness. They sold their possessions and their property. They had this mutual care. and They distributed the proceeds to, to all, to anybody who had needs. This is incredible. So we ask ourselves that same question, like, how generous am I? I'm not asking you to sell everything you have, because you're going to need a car to get here next weekend. I'm not asking you to get rid of all your wardrobe, or to get rid of all your toys and trinkets and, and, and all your techie stuff. 
And it's okay if somebody has something nicer than you. Are you okay with that? All right, so the Bible's not telling us to, to live poor lives so that I can be holy, right? It's not asking us to do that, and it's not mandating us to do that. But what it is showing to us is that these lives who were changed were very generous at the core. Why were they generous at the core? Back to our statement at the beginning, they were intentionally living out the gospel. Look at the third and last thing here. Unstoppable love leads us to participate in living out the gospel in others' lives. Verses 46 and 47, they continuing daily with one accord, there's unity. They broke bread from house to house. They would travel, they would fellowship, they would eat. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were praising God and they had favor with all the people. So the early church had only, if they had only participated in the life of the church and were generous to each other, then we would not know the gospel today. Let me say it again. If the early church, if the early church had just been so consumed with themselves, if they would have been living in such a way that they participated in life of the church, like we talked about in point number one, and if they were only just generous to each other, point number two, but they didn't live out point number three, then we would not know the gospel today. Us four and no more, we'll hold it in, no one needs to know. We would know nothing about Jesus Christ. But what happened with these believers is that they, they, were, they were consumed by telling others about this changing work in their life. They wanted other people to know. And so uh, they, did this, they did life together. They prayed together. They shared meals together. But they also evangelized together. See, this was a very powerful and life-transforming truth. Look at verse 47. Because they were praising God and they were directing the glory to him. Can you imagine being a part of a church? If next week we grew by 3,000 people, we might get some phone calls and some interviews and some magazines wanting to know what in the world happened. But here, the early church, it was like glory to God, just praise to God. There was nothing that man was accomplishing. Powerful message by Peter. Peter was the first one to direct all the attention to God. The apostles teaching, I mean, like, like Andrew and James and John, you guys were there in the boat with Jesus. Tell us more, tell us more. It was not about them. It was all praise and glory going to God. So what we find is that this was all taking place in verse 47. And because of it, what happened? They found favor with the people. Now this word favor, the definition means it's a spiritual condition of one that is governed by the power of divine grace. It's a proof, it's an evidence of grace transforming a life. Some of you have an incredible story to tell. Some of you have some proof and evidence of a life that was so drastically changed by the gospel. And it's time to tell. Hey, you need to make sure that you're proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ and just start by sharing your story. Just start by building a relationship with someone and allowing your story to tell the rest as it points to Jesus Christ. You see, we need to break down barriers, build relationships, and plant gospel seeds. 
We've said that over and over again. We'll continue to say that. What that is doing is sharing the love of Jesus to those who are close enough to see you in the most authentic way. Are there people in your life that are unsaved that can see your life in the most authentic way? Or do you put on this whole Christian facade? Do you have this whole Christianese language that you use around the unsaved? Do you have this whole Christian way of living that that causes people to think because you're a Christian, life is grand, everything's fine, and, and, and you're good? That's a pretty hypocritical life. Because when we're authentic, we can even tell an unsaved person of our own, our own struggles, our own doubts, our own fears, our insecurities. We can tell an unsaved person about how we're going through this journey and it's full of bumps and bruises. Because I think sometimes we're too afraid to share our open story, our authentic story with people that they begin to think, it's going to take a lot of work to meet up to those expectations before Jesus would ever want to save me. We never want to give that impression of the gospel. We want them to know that we're a, we're a continual piece of, of, of clay being formed by the master potter. We're, we're still a complete work that's in a work in progress. So this unstoppable love, it's different than, than our actions of trying to, to raise money for financial things in the community. It's different than just going out and painting a house or pulling weeds and calling that a humanitarian effort on our behalf. There's so much more to this gospel. These things can have an importance. You can send a group down to do medical missions and they can really be a good help with helping people with their teeth and their eyesight and and some basic ailments. You can send another group down and they can help build a house and paint it and put it together. Another group goes down and does plumbing. Another group goes down and does uh, some kids programs and teen programs. And and those things are important, but they're not an end of a goal. Those all are just seeds that are planted to direct people to a greater thing that is intentionally living out the gospel. And and we as a church are called to participate in living out the gospel in other people's lives. Show them, tell them, live out the gospel so that they can see it, intrigued by it, and want to know more about it. Don't just do your good deed and feel good about that. Always bring it to a place where you're pointing to the cross. Now, sometimes it takes a little while. The eternal solutions go much greater than the temporary solutions of of just fixing somebody's house. We love and care for others not only to serve them now, but to share the same hope and salvation that we have for the future. And so we do that in order to help them for greater things. Febreze, how many of you use Febreze, the uh, spray, the smelly spray, all right? All right, some of you know Febreze. You remember Febreze did these commercials where they would bring some volunteers in blindfolded. They'd set them in the middle of a stinky room. Maybe it was a stinky car. Maybe it was a stinky kitchen. Maybe it was a nasty living room. And they'd bring them in blindfolded. They had already sprayed their Febreze on everything and around everything. They'd sit them down on the couch. They'd say, now, now sit here just for a moment. Tell me about what do you see? What do you feel in, in, in this smell? Somebody sits there in the commercial and they're like, wow, this smells like paradise. It's so good. And like three feet from them is a rotting fish, like with its eyeball out and a skeleton showing. And then somebody sits there and 
It says, man, it smells like I've walked into a day spa. And, and right next to them is a dirty sock and a jersey all sweaty. And, and they don't know. What has happened? Febreze is able to not coat the odor so that it's odor and Febreze mixed in. That's pretty nasty. What Febreze has mastered is that they cover the odor. They disguise it. I got to thinking about that a little bit. That's what Christians do so often with the gospel. We know that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We know apart from God, we're so wicked to the very core of who we are. But boy, we've got our spiritual Febreze. We cover it all up so that nobody has to know about my dirty laundry. So that when the unsaved are around us, they think, that's a pretty cool Christian right there. In church every Sunday. Like, do you see the way they carry their Bible when they walk to their car? Yeah, I've seen that before. And do you realize that every time they get out of the car, how sweet she talks to her husband? Like, I don't know if I can ever be that kind of wife. (laughs) And then their kids? I mean, come on, their kids are... (laughs) Yeah, that's what the, the kids... They're like, man, those kids, I'll never have kids like that. (laughs) So here's what happens in our Christian life. We're like, I just need more spiritual Febreze instead of just participating by living out the gospel in other people's lives. That says, hey, my wife and I, we we fight. Hey, my kids, (laughs) they're a work in progress. (laughs) Hey, we've got a lot of things in our own life that we're dealing with but I want to tell you something. We know a savior named Jesus who helps us every step of the way. So so when I make a mistake, I have him to help me. And there's a weird thing that goes on inside of me that brings me this conviction. Like conviction? Holy Spirit? What's all that? Okay, I got to be careful. Don't use too much Christianese language because they're like, holy ghost. I don't know if I want to part of what you got. All right? So you graciously walk through these things, but you just live your life out in the authentic way. And that's unstoppable love. Unstoppable love says, I'm going to get rid of the Febreze. I'm taking off the blindfold and you can just see me at my raw core because I have a Jesus who saved me and helps me every step of the way. So church, let's be that unstoppable love. Get rid of your Febreze today, leave it at the door and you go out there and you live the gospel and you share the truth of Jesus Christ with those you encounter.